0: So I'm, I'm on a text group with a couple of other couples, Allie and I are, uh, with a, a couple other couples, We kind of, kind of our tribe uh, over in Clay County, and um, uh, we call the text group the Hillbilly Deluxe uh, because uh, we, it was birthed out of a, um, uh, a desire for the, the six of us to go uh, to a Brooks and Dunn concert uh, over in the arena a few months back. And so so Friday night, the Hillbillies all, we call them the Hillbillies. Hillbillies all came over for dinner uh, Friday night and and I cooked and or we cooked. And uh uh you may have seen Allie's Pies on on Instagram and Facebook. They're they're famous. Um and so uh so we just kind of came over and and had had fun. NFL draft was happening, so we had the draft on TV and um the guys like after dinner, the guy like the kids all went out into the onto our porch and were I don't know, watching YouTube videos or whatever, and uh, the, the girls were all kind of around our dinner table, uh, and they were, they were talking. The guys had kind of gathered in the, uh, the, the living room. We were watching the draft and talking about man things. Um, uh, I, you know what I found is that me and, and, uh, and the, the other guys that were there, we talked about the draft for hours. They got there about 6.30. Uh, it was almost 11 o'clock, and they're like, well, I guess we better go. And I'm like, why? You've only been here a couple hours. I looked down, it was almost 11. Like when you get together and you start talking about things you just enjoy, you know, time tends to fly when you're having fun. Um, if we were to be having a conversation about cuticle care and, uh, and, and, about, uh, and, and about hair care products and things like that, I, I, I would be bored in like 12 seconds. Uh, but when we start talking about the NFL draft, I, you know, I could do that for days on end, you know. Uh, and so uh, um, I say all that to say this. We're going to be talking about one of my favorite subjects today, so I hope you're comfortable, okay? Uh, because it may, be, it may be 1230 or 1 o'clock before you all finally get out of here. The other service may just have to come in and kind of like fill in and find places to, to sit. Um, When we look at at the tough questions, that's kind of what this series has been about. We've been looking at tough questions, and it's kind of been on on two, there's been kind of a divide in two distinctly different camps. Uh, There are you, those who are still in the church, maybe you're watching online, you're part of the church, you're part of the local church body, uh, and so you're here, Um, and so this series to my friend who left the faith sounds a little weird because to our friends who've left the faith are not in the room as a rule listening to this sermon and you may be and we're glad if so we're glad that you're here um, but for this series it's mostly church folk that are sitting in here today but there are people that have have walked away and so you have people that, that maybe go back and maybe you hear the sermon and you text it a, a link to uh, a family member or a friend or a co-worker and you're like hey listen I know that you kind of got burned by church. I know that that you may have been hurt by church. Maybe maybe things didn't work out in the Christian faith the way you wanted, and you kind of walked away. Do me a favor. Watch this message, uh, and uh, and and just let's. I'd love to buy you a cup of coffee and maybe we talk about it, right? You have these two distinct camps, folks that are in the church, folks that have that have left. And what I found is that people that have left the faith generally uh, do so over a couple of very specific and distinct questions. One is, does God really love me? And a lot of times that is predicated around the idea that circumstances have happened in my life that have been negative in nature and so How can a loving God, someone that the Bible says that God is love and scripture very clearly teaches that God is love. How can a God that is truly loving allow me to suffer the way he has? How can he look down from heaven and see my plight and and, and just go, okay, I'm I'm just going to turn a blind eye to it. Or if God truly loves me, doesn't, doesn't he just want me to be happy? Like, like isn't love love, and we just you know I, I want to love who I want to love with impunity, right? That if God is all of this love, and He is He's He's wrapped in all this, you know, why doesn't He let me just live my life the way I want because that makes me happy? The problem with that argument is is that it's 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 very. Subjective in nature. It it means this, that our benchmark for goodness or badness or our worthiness to be loved by him sometimes is predicated in how our society looks at morality, not how God looks at morality. Our standard for goodness and or badness in scripture is not rooted in man, it's rooted in God. That God is love because he is love, that God is just because he is just, right? And scripture tells us about, about those in, in uh, those of us that are born under the curse of Adam, what that looks like for us. Whom is righteous? Right. Who can, can God look at out of all of creation, out of all of humanity, living under the curse of Adam that we find in Genesis chapter 3? Who is righteous? And Paul in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, he says, there is no one righteous. Not even one. We are all on this level playing field. There must, church, hear me. And if you're watching this, this sermon online, I'm going to ask you to, to listen to this. If you don't hear another thing I say in the next 30 minutes, hear this. There must be a moral standard by which we compare everything. And that standard has to be consistent. Otherwise, if we allow society to dictate what is moral, that's going to be a moving mark. Right? I mean, I mean and you go no further than fashion, right? I mean, there were days that bell-bottom jeans were where it was at. You know, it's coming back around in style. Now I see women wearing like, like flare tip kind of jeans now, like you had them in the closet for 40 years and now you pull them back out and you go, man, I'm back in style again. Right. That's what culture does. It is a, it's cyclical. All right. If I hold on long enough, there was about a six-month mark where where where, um, where athletic fit jeans and plaid shirts were super in style, and I went to the Southern Baptist Convention. Everybody was wearing plaid shirts, uh, you know, short sleeve plaid shirts like you see me wear, and 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 athletic fit jeans. And I go, oh man, I am in. <laughs> Six months out of forty-one years. If we allow society to dictate what is moral. We will never find that mark because it's constantly shifting. Put it this way. You say, Pastor, I'd never do that. Yeah, you do. Let me tell you why. All right. Here's an example. All right. You're trying to decide whether you're good or not, whether you are a good person or not. Okay. And and I look down and I look down at my friend Dane Gray, who's running the camera today. And I I think, man, Dane's a good guy. I don't know if you've ever got a chance to know Dane. Get to know him. Dane is a good guy. All right. Dane Gray, super good guy. All right? And I try to compare myself to Dane, and I go, man, I'm just not as good compared to Dane. Now, now there's another gray that is not there. I don't think they're related. There's Lori Gray. Uh, not related. Okay, good. Not I'm re- glad we established that, okay? Um, I look at Lori, and I go, now, you know, when I compare myself to Lori, I look pretty good. I, I, can, I can make this work. <laughs> I'm going to have to pick two more people in the second service. It's going to be awful. Um <laughs> But we do that, right? Like, like we, I'm just kidding. Lori is probably, Lori's better than, than, than most of us, okay? All right, so uh, mainly, mainly because she has to put up with this church staff, all right? Um, so that's right, Matt. Okay, so, um, but th- we do that, right? Like, we, we look at ourselves, and we're like, hey, you know what? I may not be Mother Teresa, but at least I'm not Hitler. Like, I may not be, you know, I'm, I may not be Billy Graham, but I'm not my mother-in-law, okay? Whew, I'm so glad y'all laughed. It was going to be bad if you didn't. So church, let's covenant today that today, while we try to compress all this stuff down, as we look at at the standards that that understand this church, and we, we balance everything out with this. Because we were born under the curse of Adam, under the curse of sin, and the curse of death, we are owed by God nothing but his wrath. Now, Understanding that, I mean, not one amen. You didn't know whether that was good enough to amen. That's okay. Um, today we're going to keep God's standard of mor- ultimate standard of morality, but which, by the way, is Himself. It is perfection, and so we're going to try to answer all of these other questions: Does God love me? How can God allow you know good bad things to happen to good people? Understanding this, there are no good people. Okay, and you say, how is that possible? Because we Figure who's good by the ultimate standard of morality, and that is God. And when we compare ourselves to God, church, you and I never match up. So we're going to look at salvation because there are some people that I think that, that I chose God, right? You, I walked the aisle at Summer Jam VBS, and I prayed to receive him. I was baptized, and, and I lived. And you know I just decided, you know, after a while, some things happened. Church hurt me, and I'm kind of done with y'all. All and so I'm just—if I can choose God, I'm going to unchoose Him. Let's spend some time there today, and maybe that will inform some of our other answers. Acts chapter 17—you uh, don't have to turn there. I'm going to kind of summarize. Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 9, talks about the establishment of the church at, at uh, Thessalonica. Okay, and so Paul and Silas come into Thessalonica. Thessalonica was a maritime port. Okay, it was kind of a gateway port that that tra- it was part of of um, what the Romans called the Ignatian Way. Okay, it was a series of highways that connected Rome to East Asia, okay? And so, uh, and, and so all of these, um, all the trade routes, everything, uh, because it was a maritime port across the Mediterranean, and you had these highway structure. It was If St. Louis is our gateway to the West, Thessalonica was kind of the gateway to the Far East, all right? And so everybody at some point went through Thessalonica. It was a huge city, it was a strategic center. Whatever happened um, uh, there would soon spread everywhere. And, and and so perhaps a modern equivalent we would find would be like a Miami or a New Orleans, right? Big port cities. All right? And so the population of Thessalonica com- was comprised of four main groups. You had Greeks, you had Romans, you had Jews, and then you had um, uh, Far Easterners, like Orientals, okay? And so um, most of these people were not, Jehovah God loving people most of them were idol worshipping pagans. And so Paul on his second missionary journey he had Silas with him. He stops in Thessalonica and he preaches. And and he, he stays there for a little while, enough time for him to plant for people to be saved and he plants a church there. And so after he leaves Thessalonica he goes to Athens and then when he makes it to Athens, he, at some point he sends Timothy back to Thessalonica to, to just see how the church was doing, to check on them. And then Paul leaves Athens, and he, then he goes by himself to Corinth, okay? Um, and so Paul is going to report, or I'm sorry, Timothy is going to report back to Paul and he's going to say, okay, let me tell you about how the church is doing. They're, they're growing, they're doing well. Uh, the problem is they are, they're dealing with some persecution uh, from some of these pagans and they're struggling a little bit. And like, they're kind of wanting to ask themselves whether, you know, the juice is really worth the squeeze, but, um, you know, they're they're under this intense pressure to give in, as we, we see all, all too often, right? And so what they were doing is people trying to discredit the church were spreading rumors about Paul. Paul wound up having to leave the city early, uh, and and because he, he left town to go to Athens. And so uh, and they were saying these were all the, these things, right? They had some moral and some doctrinal issues that were creeping in to the local church. And so Paul wanted to come back. But the circumstances he was in prevented him from coming back. So he writes a letter to the church just to encourage them. And that letter is the book that we call First, first Thessalonians. All right, today's big idea is this. As we look at Paul's really going to attack in the first 10 verses... He is going to attack their standard of morality and how they came to faith to begin with. And that is this. And the big idea of the first 10 verses is this. Is that salvation church is not accidental. It is also not incidental. It is, however, very intentional, and I want you to see it. Let's read um, verses 1 through 10 of First Thessalonians chapter 1 together, and then we're going to unpack. It says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in my in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God that he has chosen you. That may freak you out, okay? Let's, so if you're comfortable underlining, asterisking, highlighting, circling, you have a writing utensil of some kind, a finger that can highlight on your phone, That he has chosen you, okay? Uh, Because that's important for where we're going today, all right? Um, He says, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. To God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. I want us to look at salvation as the conduit with which we view all of these other questions that may cause us to doubt, that may cause us to struggle, and things like that, okay? And so we're gonna, as we look at salvation, I want you to see three things that the Lord does in salvation. Number one is that he paves the way for us in salvation. Look at verse 4. He says, we know, brothers, for we know, brothers, loved by God that he has chosen you. Did you, did you know that God's chosen you? Now, let me tell you what we're not going to get into today, because that that would be a three-hour sermon, okay? We're not going to get into this struggle between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Understand this, church. God is completely sovereign. And in his sovereignty, and let me tell you, you want that, okay? You want God to be completely sovereign. Because because if God is not sovereign overall, he's not sovereign at all, okay? You want a God that has complete dominion. And let me tell you why he has complete dominion over his creation. Because he created it. Okay, when you create something like let's say a life, okay, let's say you have a baby, you have dominion, you have dominion over that child, and at some point you are going to allow that child, just like, as my parents did when I was growing up. Uh, we lived uh, in a, a busy little cross street in, in Orange Park, Florida, before we moved to Middleburg, uh, and, um, and 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 my parents would start by letting me ride ride my bike to the end of the driveway. All right, then I would ride my bike after a few months, and I I got the hang of my driveway. They would let me ride my bike to my friend's house down the street, same street. Then they would let me ride my bike across to the other street next door to go to my other buddy's house. Then they let me start, start riding my bike to school, which was about a quarter mile away. Then I got to ride my bike to Walmart. That was a big day. Um, then I got to ride my bike to the YMCA, which is about two miles down the road. Okay. And over time, then, then by the time I got to, I I was old enough and mature enough to ride my bike to, uh, to the YMCA a couple years after that, they got to teach me how to drive. Okay. And then they said, well, you know, when you're, when you're going to leave the house and you're going to go anywhere, you need to tell us where you're going. You need to call us because cell phones had had, had become a thing by this point. Uh, Call us when you leave, call us when you get there. Okay. Now, let me tell you, that hadn't changed. I'm 41. That hadn't changed. Now, I'm, I'm leaving tomorrow to drive to, to Southeastern Seminary in, in Wake Forest, North Carolina. Mom has already said, call me when you get there, okay? But over time, we allow our children to have a little bit more. When they show that they're responsible and can handle it, he allow, our, we as parents allow our kids a little bit more rope. All right. We give them a little bit more freedom, and with their choices, they, they can choose whether to make good decisions or not based on that freedom. And let me tell you, if I told my parents I was going to Walmart and I didn't go to Walmart, I could only ride my bike to the end of the street or to the end of the driveway. God is much the same way. God, my parents, until I was 18, and even, I mean, 41, mom and dad still have a, a great deal of influence over me. Until I was 18, I was my parents' responsibility and they had, they had the, the right to make every decision for me. But they chose to allow me to have a voice and even in some cases have a vote. And God is very similar to us. God chooses us before the foundation of the world. God has chosen us. But he allows us the privilege of, trust, of trusting and choosing him back. That's worship, right? Your first act of worship is, is salvation. When you trust Jesus Christ in salvation and repent of your sins. So Paul says here, he says, for we know, brothers, that love, uh, brothers, love by God that he has chosen you. You weren't drawn to him by accident. He picked you. And let me tell you why he picked you. Not because you're worthy. Romans 3.10 says there's no one righteous. Nobody is worthy. Nobody is good. But God in his love and in his goodness has chosen to extend his hand of salvation to you. Salvation is not a means to escape hell, right? And this is where God's work begins, okay? That he, Paul begins his apologetic to the Thessalonians with the very foundation that was their salvation. Salvation church is not a means to escape hell. It's a means to, it's a means that God uses to draw an unworthy man or unworthy woman to himself. And when we were in our most broken, broken down state, incapable of even knowing, right? The the scriptures say that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. That in our most destitute, depraved state, where we were incapable of reaching our hands up to God, because we didn't even know that God was man's lone avenue of salvation until God showed us. Then we look at, isn't isn't it nice when you're drowning to see that life raft? coming your way, God extends his hand of grace and you're a fool, friend, if you don't take it. So salvation always begins with God. If it ever begins with us, it's the wrong answer. But not only do we see in verse four, we see God's work. We see in verse five, we see God's faithfulness. Look at verse five. Or we see man's faithfulness. So God does the work of showing us and then he shows us, when he shows us our our destitute condition, then it's it's upon us to be faithful and to respond. Look at verse 5. It says, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in, in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. God has convicted us of our sin. Because our gospel came. To you, not simply, but with words, but also the very power of God, that salvation was made effective through the preaching and the teaching of the gospel to the Thessalonians. And so the, when the word of God is, is preached, when it's taught, when it's lived by believers, it produces deep conviction people realize the the depth of their sin. But then the beauty of the power of the gospel, and church, don't miss this. The power of the gospel is this. When you were in your most unlovable condition, God displayed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see God's work, but then you you see man's faithfulness to respond. So he says that you responded not with words only. He means that, it wasn't a matter of just memorizing some evangelistic presentation, which I've done, or to rattle off some, some stale message. He didn't rely on like lights and camera and theater and fireworks and smoke. We could have no lights. We could have no audiovisual. We could have no drums or guitar or iPads. No microphones. And you can preach the gospel of Jesus and God will draw people to himself. These are all blessings and I'm grateful to have them. But the message of the cross is not smoke and mirrors. It is the power of God and the salvation of men. But it requires God extending his hand of grace and man seeing that extension of that grace And responding in faithfulness and repentance. So, man, so God paves the way for us in salvation, but He also provides markers for our salvation. Look at verse six. He said, And you became imitators of us. Paul is gonna move out of how does salvation happen to what it looks like when someone is saved. All right, and in verses six through eight, you see certain markers. Look at verse six. He says, "You, you, you know." He says, "You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word with the uh, uh, in, in in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You became imitators of us in spite of your affliction. Uh, that 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 phrase, in spite of your affliction, literally means being pressed to the limit. It's um, I want to tell you all a, a quick thing about me." Um, I have friends that are very that, that are much more fit than I am. Um, they're skinny, okay. I don't mind saying it, okay. And they're they're my friends. I'm allowed to say that. Um, and and look, I'm, I have nothing against skinny folk. I want to take you to a Chinese buffet so bad I can't I can't think straight, okay. But but that's okay. And and we were we were out, you know, like walking around, and 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 we found we we found this um um this old cave. Okay, And we, we started walking through the cave, and the cave started out super wide, like the mouth of the cave, super wide. And so we're walking down, down in it, and uh, uh, this was in, in Alabama. We don't have many caves in, because the aquifer, we don't have many caves in Florida. And so, um, you know, and it started off, we were, we were totally good. I had my flashlight, and we're walking, and it starts getting tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. And tighter. And before long, my friends are, like, gone. And I'm going. <laughs> and, I'm, and at this point, I am convinced, Casey, I was going to die. I was going to die. I just knew it. And like, I'm like, what if I get stuck? What if, I'm the only, what if this is the only exit? And then they all die because I'm stuck. And let me tell you, from that day forward, church, I was claustrophobic. The idea to be pressed to the limit is to be pinned under the weight of something. He says you received the word in much affliction that even though you were walking through an unbelievably hard time you still received the word of God and you applied it to your heart. This idea of being of, of receiving as it's, it's, it's a picture of, of a welcoming home. When Allie and I were doing college ministry back in uh, 2008 to 13, we had a, a college Bible study in our home. Sounded great at the time. We started it with about 12, people, 12 kids in our home. Thursday nights, 9.30 p.m. They were all up late anyway. Uh, and, um, and it blew to about 60 uh, at one point. In my home, by the way. 60 kids in my home. Which and you think, well, that's not, no big deal. We have dinner party. These are college students. They eat. And so it's, then it turned into, like, I would have to leave my door unlocked because they would walk in about an hour early and go to my kitchen and eat my leftovers. And they would stay. You know what we do? They'd stay, and they'd come in, and I would sit in my recliner, and I would teach Bible study, and it was wonderful, and they were growing, and then we would dismiss them about 11, 30, or 12, um, and then they, they wouldn't go. They wouldn't leave. I'm like, what are y'all doing? There were nights that Allie and I just said, we're going to bed, lock the door when you leave. And they would stay up all night playing, playing my PlayStation eating my food and then they get mad when we didn't have the food they wanted I'm like bring your own I would do relationship counseling with those kids when everybody else would leave a couple couple kind of awkwardly would stand around and wait and I go I know what this is and we'd sit down and drink a cup of coffee and at midnight by the way and um, can't do that anymore and um, and we would talk about their relationship I wound up marrying that couple uh, down the road Um, They loved coming to our house because it was inviting, it was welcoming. The Greek there is the very same structure. You you welcomed the gospel. Even in the midst of your of your affliction, you received the gospel. And look at verse 7. It says, and because of that, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy, not the happiness. Happiness is fleeting. But this is the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example. Church, let me tell you. People watch Christians when they're in the midst of trials. They want to see if you're willing to put your money where your mouth is. Is the God you proclaim to serve and trust? Is is he still the God you proclaim to serve and trust when you get pressed to the limit? It's in the hard times, church. That we truly display the markers of our salvation. Because it's no longer about lip service. We are living the gospel we proclaim. He says you did that. You became imitators. And So the Lord provides markers for man's salvation. But also we see finally that he writes man's testimony. Isn't it cool that God takes your suffering, your affliction, your hurt, your pain. Your trials. And he writes that story for you to encourage somebody else with. Verse nine, he says, For they themselves, all the people in Macedonia and Achaia, that's a big, that's regional. The gospel didn't just stay in the church of Thessalonica, it went out to Macedonia and to Achaia, into this large, and because of the Ignatian way, it spread into Asia because people heard. And it wasn't this, this crazy smoke and mirrors or light show or circus act. They were just living the gospel they proclaimed, and it went forward. So it's one last thing that God does when he, when he draws us to salvation out of our faithfulness to respond to his call, he writes our story. Church, every salvation story has a past, has a present, and has a future. Verse 9, he says, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception among you, the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned God from idols, To serve the living and the true God. And to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. They were radically, supernaturally saved. Being saved requires repentance. In the Greek, you don't see it here, but... And you kind of you do. It's not the same word, but um, it's very similar. That They turned from idols. It's the Greek word metanoia. Literally me, and I love that we sang that song, and I don't know that Craig knew that when, when he did the music for today, but he picked me up and he turned me around. He set my feet on solid ground. Repentance is literally you're walking towards your own selfishness, the things that you want to do, the life that you want to live, making your own destiny. And you decide in that moment when God, when you're drowning, that God gives you that life raft and you you turn and you begin walking away from sin and selfishness and to the Father and his faithfulness. How you turned from idols, how you turned from paganism, You literally change your mind. Church, when we turn from our sin, we literally change our mind about ourselves, about our worthiness, about where we fit in God's story. Conversion from sin fundamentally involves, don't miss this, a change of God's. Where you once served sin and self, Now you serve the living and the true God and his son, Jesus, who saved you from the wrath to come. Salvation Church begins when God extends his hand of grace and you literally change your mind about how you're saved and you reach up and grab his hand. It is nothing more or less than an intentional turning of oneself to God. It's not accidental. It's not incidental. It is very intentional. And because it's intentional, it doesn't happen automatically. You're not saved because your parents are saved. You're not saved because you you prayed for a meal last week. You're not saved because, God, because you prayed to him for a medical diagnosis to, be, to go one way, and he blesses you in that way, so you must be saved. That's not what this is, church. It is intentional that you say, God, I am so sorry for the dumb stuff I've done. I know Jesus died for my sin. Please forgive me. And you realize, church, you will never be good enough to earn God's favor, but he extends that hand of grace to you, not because you're worthy, but because he is. But you have to decide that you're going to turn to him. It's your first act of worship. If you have truly been saved, and I believe this with all my heart, because I believe scripture teaches it. Scripture says there were some that went out from us because they were never of us. I believe there are some people who have been fed a false gospel. Just name it and claim it. And when life hits, they walk away because the the line that they were fed, it was not the true gospel. But I truly believe if you have been saved by God, that he that begins a good work in you will see it through to completion. And so if you've walked away from God, if you truly repented to him, and you truly began a relationship with him, You don't have to worry about being good enough. He is good on your behalf. But if you've walked away from him, he never walked away from you. And he draws you back to himself. He wants you back. And if you were fed that line, some kind of name it and claim it, cheesy, inch deep gospel, trust the one true God for salvation today. And see what God can do with the most unworthy in this world. So no longer do you have to look around and say, well, I may not be this, but I'm, de- but I'm definitely not this. You can say, I'm no good. But God has imputed his righteousness onto me. And I am loved and I am cared for because God chose me. Friend, if you've never trusted Jesus today, And you're in the room. And just a moment, I'm going to pray and we're going to be done. And you're going to be invited to see Pastor Matt back in the back or come see me down front. If you're watching online today, I want you to comment that you would like a pastor to contact you. We're going to reach out and we want to to hear how we can minister to you. And maybe it's sharing the gospel with you. Maybe it's walking you into salvation. However, the Lord is leading you today, maybe you've walked away from the church, but you need to come back. What a promise that he that began a good work in you will see it through to completion. And if you're in the room and you're faithful to Christ and you love Jesus, continue. Be imitators of him. Don't give people a reason to walk into the church and then walk out. Show them love, show them compassion, hold them accountable that they might find true community in the people of God. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we honor you. And we thank you for loving us when we were at our most unlovable. And God, now that we see that the only good that lies within us is what you have put there, Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you that there's nothing we can do to earn your salvation. We thank you there's nothing we can do to make you love us more. And there's nothing we have done that can make you love us less. That it's not built on our standard of morality, but it's built on you. And your unmoving, unchanging standard of morality, which is perfection. But that you offer us righteousness in Christ. That when we mess up and where sin abounds, God, that grace abounds even more. Father, if there is someone in this room or watching online that has never trusted you as Savior, Father, may they bow the knee to Jesus today. Ask him to forgive them of their sins and to begin a new work in them. A good work in them today. And as we go, Father, may may Fort Caroline Baptist Church for years to come be a church that is known as imitators of Christ that all in Fort Caroline and Jacksonville and Florida and the Southeast and North America and to the ends of the earth may hear that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. For we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.